Okay, I'm going to be a bar humbug and preach on one of the Ten Commandments tonight. My wife wouldn't let me do it this morning, but I'm going to do it tonight. Um, from verse 8, we'll start reading of Exodus 20. But the verse we're going to focus on is verse 15, but I'll just set it in context. And we read, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son nor daughter nor your manservant or maidservant nor your animals nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God has given you. Do not commit, no, sorry, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery. And then verse 15, you shall not steal. Let's just pray. Father, again, we just recognize the authority of your word and its relevance, its application to our lives today. This word written millennium ago and yet fresh and up to date in the challenge it brings. Prepare our hearts right now. To receive your word. Speak to us by your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, today I, I believe that in looking at this eighth commandment, we're, we're actually looking at something that really has become part of the fabric of our society. Something that has become just an accepted part of life to the extent that I don't think a lot of us are, are aware anymore when we're crossing over the line. For here we're looking basically, at the issue of honesty, or perhaps more accurately, the lack of it in our modern world. <clears throat> and I have to say to you that as I was looking around different things preparing for this, I came across a whole plethora of different information that really just underlined for me just about how dishonest we've become in the Western world, and just how much simply dishonesty has become the done thing with this reaching right across barriers of class and, and right down through the age ranges. In fact, modern standards of honesty in Britain were quite recently tested by the Reader's Digest. And what they did was they left 80 wallets containing £30 in various places around the United Kingdom. And what they found was that the poor were more inclined to hand the wallet in with its contents intact, whereas the better off were more likely to pocket the money as a welcome bonus. Also, they found that women were more likely to be honest than men. Two-thirds of the women who found wallets handed them in, whereas nearly half the men kept them. The most outstanding example, though, was one impoverished student in Glasgow who only had £10 to spend on food that week, but still handed the wallet in. And we're not surprised by that, are we? Not at all. As for the relationship between honesty and dishonesty and age, well, you know, there's a famous clip you can find on the internet from the the cable news company CNN. It's quite an old one, but it relates to the story of a, an armoured van that overturned on a Florida highway. 
$300,000 suddenly began fluttering along and littering the road. And the clip is of a number of senior citizens desperately trying to run away from armed police with their arms full of cash. You know, it's easy by the use of stories like this you know, to make dishonesty something funny and to make it something that, that's kind of out there, something that's somebody else's problem, something that's a society that we're apart from. It's their problem. But let's look at this issue and see if that really is the case. So let's look first then at the question, how are we dishonest? Well, first of all, of course, we can be dishonest in the sense that we can steal from people. And, you know, despite all the the recent claims of a, a drop in crime, yet still we know, don't we, that crime is a huge problem in our nation. It's maybe not as bad here as it is in some other parts of the UK, but still those who know Hamilton have told me that things are a lot worse now than they used to be. And, you know, when politicians boast nowadays about a drop in the crime rate while they've been in power, which they're all quick to do, what they're actually talking about is a drop from the absolutely awful to the just marginally less than that. For If you actually compare these figures, the figures for today, with a time when in our nation God and his commandments were still given a place of honour, we see it's then that you see just how bad things actually have become. For I found this out, in 1920, nationally, UK-wide, fewer than 100,000 offences were recorded in that year. Last year, the crime rate had risen to 6.4 million offences per year. You know, people will tell us sometimes that that much of this crime is is drug-related and that's a relatively modern phenomenon, and they'll say that, but I don't believe that's the whole story. For alcohol... Is at, is at the root of at least as many crimes as illegal drugs. And let me tell you, there was plenty of alcohol around in the 1920s. But there is, though, a different kind of theft, a worse kind of theft, that drugs and those who deal with drugs are involved in. Because, you see, as they help to nurture addiction... So they then rob their victims, not only of their money, but also of their freedom, of their dignity, of their future, and ultimately, far too often, of their lives. Now, I know that drugs really are all around us today. They're part of modern life. So I want to say tonight, especially to any young people who are here, I want to say to you, you start off taking drugs and you get a high, you do. You get a boost. It seems great. It feels great. And so you wonder, what are all the older folk talking about? What are they worrying about? But before long, you will find that it's not so much about you taking drugs. Rather, they will be taking you. For you won't have control over them. They will have control over you. And they will rob you of everything that's worthwhile. And they will destroy you. But again, all of this is maybe a bit removed from such a respectable group as we have here, obviously, tonight. 
So let's think then about some of the more socially acceptable forms of theft that are out there, that are around us. For instance, what about stealing from the state? Now here's an eye-watering statistic. Last year, the estimated level of overall fraud in Britain was calculated to be £193 billion. That's £6,000 per second. As part of this, £1.4 billion of fraudulent benefit claims were detected and refused. And they're happy about that, but who knows how many went undetected. Perhaps a more intimate and personal expression of this are the absent parents who refuse to support their children. Not that long ago, 80% of single parents received no support from their former partners. Now, I know that initiatives like the Child Support Agency, I think that's gone now, but anyway, that brought this down to 31%. But even that, I think, is still a shameful figure. And then we have stealing at work. And we all know, I'm sure, the little ways that this goes on, the tools that are needed for the job at home, but they never make their way back to where they're supposed to be. The pens and notepads, etc., that, you know, nobody will even notice are missing. The telephone calls that are made that we've not actually been given the permission to make. But I think we've also found in recent days, invented because of the society we live in, even more subtle ways of stealing from our employers. You know, where you're in a job and you've got maybe so many days holiday and so many non-certifiable sick days. So the temptation then If time off is needed and we've no holidays available, but we haven't been off sick for a while, well, people today, more and more, sick or not, are inclined to call in sick, aren't they? But you see, that is a form of stealing from your employer. For you're depriving them of the right to make a profit from your labor. You're robbing them of what they've actually got a right to expect, and that is a full day's work for a full day's pay. But let's not give the impression that it's only employees who are guilty here. No. Unscrupulous employers who pay their workers less than they can afford and could legitimately be expected to pay. Who care little about working conditions because there are always people out there looking for a job. These people and maybe who go to third world countries where the the conditions and demands aren't the same, but who go there, they are stealing from their employees. For they are denying them their God-given right that as workers they should be treated fairly and rewarded adequately. Listen to what it says in Deuteronomy 24, 14 and 15. Do not take advantage of a hired man who is poor and needy, whether he is a brother Israelite or an alien living in one of your towns. Pay him his wages each day before sunset because he is poor and counting on it. Otherwise, he may cry out to the Lord against you and you will be guilty of sin. And then we can rob people in another way. We can rob them of their dignity. We can rob them of their reputation, things that are far more valuable than material possessions by slander and by gossip. 
which recently I, I have defined as saying something you like about somebody you don't like. And, and let me tell you, and we'll go more into this the next time we look at the commandments. There's actually more said in the Bible about the, those two sins, slander and gossip, than there is about any other. Now, I could go through a whole long list of ways in which we can steal from people. Just an example, we can steal from the environment. And we can as we abuse this beautiful world that we've been given for the sake of short-term profit. And by doing that, so rob our children and our children's children of their future. But let me just touch on one other way we can steal from people. And that is by the rich stealing from the poor. And that's happening in our own nation. You know, until fairly recently, Britain was one of the only two major industrialised countries where the number of people in low-paid jobs was on the increase. And that's wrong, and yet we hear about, you know, guys at the top getting huge four times increases in recent years. That's wrong. When people are paid low wages so that those who are already well, relatively well off can be awarded ever greater salary increases. That's wrong. And you see, this breeds a sense of exclusion from the wealth and benefits as a nation such as we live in, that you only have to travel to some of the deprived inner city housing estates in order to realise. It's building up among some a sense of despair, of resentment and bitterness and anger that one day might explode. And then the rich steal from the poor at an international level as well, as the rich nations of the world plunder the poor nations. And I'm sure most of us are well aware of the incredible debt situation that we have in our country, where the poor nations are still paying back more in interest than they actually receive in loans or aid. I mean, here's an amazing fact. We hear a lot, don't we, and people complain a lot about the generosity of certain countries, country like ours, to, to the needy countries of the world, and we should keep all that at home. But here's an example. The United States recently gave in one year $1.5 billion in aid. That takes your breath away. What a figure. But you know, that same year, in contracts from the development banks, they actually received $2.7 billion. You see, the United States and, and many other countries, maybe not every year, but pretty regularly, and we certainly are one of them, actually make a profit out of aid. We're not given to the poor countries. The facts actually are that we're taken from them. But you see, this isn't the way that God wants it to be. He wants the rich to care for the poor. Of course, the poor also have their responsibility, a responsibility to work and a responsibility to seek on their own initiative to deal with their poverty. But the Lord does want the rich at the same time to care for the poor. For instance, just one example out of many that I could give in Leviticus 19, verse 9 and 10. There the farmers of Israel are told not to reap to the very edges of their fields, but rather to leave these, the crops along the edge for the poor. That's what it says 
It says, when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and alien. I am the Lord your God. Now I'm going to lead, leave now how we can steal from people. I'm just going to leave that there. I want to move on because, you know, we can also steal from God. Not just steal from people. We can steal from God. And, you know, I've got a choice here. I can either say a little bit or a lot. And so to leave time for what I want to go on to say, for a change, I'm going to choose option one. So then, we steal from God as by living inconsistent lives, we thus steal his credibility and his glory. Yes, you see, if people look at us, look at what we say, look at the faith we profess, and then go on to look at how we actually live, well, if they see a huge gap between these, and because of this, they write us off as phonies, and they also write our God off as a phony, then we do steal from God. We do steal God's credibility. We also steal from God as we deny him our tithes and our offerings. I mean, famous verses, Malachi 3, verse 8, we read, Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. If you see, as Christians, we're supposed to give 10% of all that we have as a tithe to the Lord. And the reason we're supposed to do that is to show that he really is our number one. To show that God really is our Lord. To show, to demonstrate practically that we really actually do love him more than anyone or anything else on this earth. And that we trust him. That we trust him to provide for all our need. With extra thank offerings, you know, mentioned this when we looked at the subject, but extra thank offerings given on top as we're able to thank God for special blessing. But you see, if we don't give to God in this kind of consistent, committed way, then we do rob him. And it's not primarily of our money. It's not that that really matters. But more than that, we rob God of our love. We rob him of our trust. We rob him of our obedience to his word. Yes, and we also rob ourselves of God's blessing. Because Malachi 3, 10 and 11 goes on and it says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room for it. Well, that's our answer then to our first question. How are we dishonest? We're dishonest by stealing from people and we're dishonest by stealing from God. Let's move on then to ask another, perhaps more fundamental question. That is, why are we dishonest? Why are we? Let me suggest three reasons why we're dishonest. First, because of our culture. And because of the pressure that there is on us 
to conform to our culture, to conform to the standards of our world. For we all know, don't we, that not only is dishonesty by and large acceptable in our day, no, actually more and more, it is glamorized. It's actually glamorized. How often do you read the headlines, you know, daring theft, daring bank robbery? What is that? But the glamorization of a criminal act. And then look back at a little while now, but it's a little while now, but it's something that stuck out for me. The funeral of Reggie Cray. Do you remember that? It was in all the news. It was treated as a media event. He was a celebrity. You'd have thought that it was the funeral of a member of the royal family or a national hero. But this man was a murderer. He was a man who brutalized and tortured anyone who stood in his way. He was a man who stole and extracted money by violence and by the fear of violence. Yes, dishonesty is promoted by our culture. And so we don't expect our politicians really to be honest anymore, do we? We don't expect real honesty in advertising. I mean, I can even remember when I was a child, when it dawned on me that my toys would never quite look like or work like they did on TV or in catalogues. Really, I've never recovered. But anyway, and dishonesty, as well as that, it's also, as well as our culture, it's also part of our nature. It's part of our nature, not just our culture, but it's actually part of who we are. For example, do you know that the man who invented the lie detector machine, as part of his research, he interviewed 25,000 people and asked them various questions and he came to the conclusion that people are basically dishonest. But you see, this isn't news to those of us here tonight who are Christians. For you see, we know that all men by nature are sinners. Romans 3.23, it says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We know that men and women, because of the fall, because of sin, because we rebelled against God and rejected his ways, that we all have an inbuilt bias towards evil. But you know, all of this is it's actually bigger than us. It's also part of the spiritual structure. Part of the spiritual structure. You see, what the Bible tells us is that there's a battle going on in the heavens. And it's going on right now and that we're actually the object of this battle that this battle is all about controlling us it's about influencing us and it's about truth versus falsehood it's about good versus evil it's about god versus satan and you're there in the scripture we're told that satan hates the truth and that he is the father of lies. Jesus said in John 8, 44, that he is a liar and the father of lies. Whereas to the contrary, God's view of dishonesty and all that goes along with that is that he hates it. That's what the Bible says. God hates dishonesty. And that is a very strong word that's actually not used very often in the Bible in relation to God. But what it means is that he finds dishonesty repulsive. 
He finds it disgusting and abhorrent. That's how strongly God feels about it. And you see, and this really is the bottom line, it's because of this that this commandment is here. Because in its core, dishonesty is a rejection of God. Dishonesty is a fundamental opposition, a state of fundamental opposition to who God is and what God is about. So, this really then is the question. Do we follow our culture or do we follow our creator? That's our question tonight. Do we follow the culture that's all around us and that's subtly influencing us and that's influenced ultimately by Satan? Do we follow this culture or do we choose to obey the commandment of our Creator? Wait a little while before you finally decide until you hear something of the the results of both options. So what are the the results then of dishonesty? Well, you know, we've got to admit that in the short term there can be some seemingly very positive results. Because people who lie, cheat, and steal sometimes do profit from that and sometimes spectacularly profit from it. And money, as far as a lot of people in our society today are concerned, no matter what your character's about, money earns respect. Money earns prestige. But at the same time, the other side, Dishonesty also brings with it guilt. Behind that facade of success, behind that I don't care what anybody, people think about me, facade, behind that many people are falling apart within because of guilt. Because of guilt. Dishonesty also leads to skepticism. You know, you sometimes hear children say excitedly, you know, something like, is it true? Is it really going to happen? They're excited. But sadly, by the time they reach adult, adulthood, too many people today don't actually believe anybody anymore. They don't ask that question anymore. Because dishonesty leads to broken trust. And once trust is broken, it is desperately, desperately difficult to restore. For I can forgive someone, I can, someone who's done something to me, and I can do that in a moment. But it can take a long, long time to restore trust. And that's because, and I came across this phrase during the week, and I I think it's, it's accurate and true. That's because dishonesty wounds your soul. You know, someone can have done something to you maybe years ago and you know you've forgiven them. You know you're not bitter or angry anymore. But at the same time, whenever you remember them or you remember what happened, you feel almost, in fact, it's not a matter of almost, you can actually feel pain deep within you. It still pains you. You've forgiven it, but the pain's there. 
Or maybe we're the ones who actually did the deed. We did the thing that hurt somebody else. We were dishonest and we hurt them badly. We broke their trust and we've been forgiven. And we know it. But despite it, we still can feel the pain of what we did. We still can feel something of the guilt and shame. Every now and again, most of the time maybe we're okay, but every now and again, it sweeps over us. But you see, that is the inheritance that's bequeathed to a dishonest generation. That's what the dishonesty that's part of our society today, inbuilt into it, that is what it has made us into. A guilty skeptical, untrusted, hurting society. So do you really want to choose to just go along with the flow? Do you really want to choose just to follow what's going on, do what's acceptable in our culture? Again, just wait a minute. Wait a minute before you finally decide. For let's look now also at the results of choosing honesty of the results of choosing to obey God. And let's begin again by being honest, by making it clear that there will be a cost. There often is. It might well cost you financially and materially in comparison to those you're working with, to those you're in contact with. Well, I would say that in the long term, as the Bible tells us, God is no man's debtor. But it might cost you materially. And you will at times be misunderstood and maybe not appreciated by other people because your stand might start to cost them. It might make them begin to look bad. But you know what Proverbs 23, 23 says? It says, buy the truth and do not sell it. What it's saying then is, is basically whatever truth costs, it's worth it. For living in God's truth, living an honest life brings great blessing, great benefit. For one, it builds character. And what I've, I've heard is the difference between character and reputation is that reputation is what others think you are. Character is what you really are right within, at the core of your being. And do you know something? Your character is the only thing that you're going to take to heaven with you. That's what this life's about, refining our character. That is the only thing that you are going to take to heaven with you. And here and now, by your example, you can pass on your character to your children, and to your children's children. Proverbs 20 verse 7 says, it says, the righteous man lives a blameless life. Blessed are his children after him. That's one of the blessings of an upright and honest life. Another is, and this is really closely related to this, is spiritual maturity. Ephesians 4.15 tells us in that, a very famous verse that if we keep truth and love in balance in our life, if we balance these two, truth and love, then through this we will grow to be more and more like Jesus. 
That's what it says. It says, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head. That is Christ. And this honesty also brings security. There's that sense of being right with God, that sense of being right at heart because we're living our life in an honest way that then filters its way through our life in every area and affects all our relationships, affects all that we do and all that we are. Proverbs 19.23 says, Fear, that is respect for God and respect for His ways, leads to life. Then one rests content, untouched by life. Those are the blessings of honesty then. Not of surface honesty, not of respectability, not that. No, these are the blessings of real heart honesty. Being honest at heart, not what you show to others, but who you are deep in your being. So what choice then are you going to make? I believe there's only one choice to make. Choose God. Choose to live that life that's pleasing to him. And you know, though we are now by nature sinners and no Satan's influence in this world, even on Christians, is strong. Yet at the same time, God has put a desire in our hearts to please him deep within our being. And at times that desire might be weak and might be flickering and you know, fading away. But if we come to God through Jesus Christ, if we come to him, then our God, the God who rose Jesus, gave him the power to rise from the dead, God is able to give us the strength right now to live a life pleasing to him. And the deeper we go in our spiritual life, the more intimate we become in our relationship with God. And so the more sensitive we grow to the convicting, compelling power of the Holy Spirit, so the more we are driven to live that kind of life that's pleasing to Him. And you know, if, if in our life we don't get those kind of signals, then that maybe tells us that we're not living as close to God. We're not as close to Him as we should be. Let me just finish. You know, in years gone by, W.P. Nicholson was a, a famous Irish evangelist. And at one point in his ministry, he was preaching in Belfast at a time when it was one of the, the shipbuilding capitals of the world. And he would um, preach basically every day nearby at lunchtime. And the men from the shipyards during this period, whenever the hooter sounded for their lunch, Many of them would down their tools, march out of the shipyards and go through the streets together to where Nicholson was preaching. What days these were. And he preached powerfully. He preached on repentance. He preached on conversion. And then he preached on restitution. On putting right where you could the things that were wrong in your former life. And many of the men, it was a time, a kind of mini revival, many of these men accepted Jesus Christ. And what happened then was they began to bring back everything that they'd stolen from the yards. Eventually, an announcement was made in the shipyard. 
Will all those men attending the meetings of Mr. W.P. Nicholson please stop returning stolen goods? We've got nowhere left to store them. <laughs> you see, that's the beginning of God's blessing on a people who obey the commandment and a people who honor God by their honesty. It's a powerful witness. My prayer is that we will honor God in all the commandments and that we will be a church that because of that makes a real impact, shines a bright light into the darkness of our culture and of our community. Let's come and pray together. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for just the wonderful things we can read of and be aware of things that have happened in our country in years gone by. But Father, we believe that you can do similar things again. We believe that maybe in a different way, but we believe that again you can revive our land. Again, you're able to pour out your spirit upon your people. Oh Lord, help us to be ready to obey you. Help us to be ready to follow you. Help us to be ready in this as in every way to give our lives in obedience to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.